0: welcome everybody to the word on the hill and we are the lanky guy this is father peter musset right here
1: and this is (laughs) scott powell right there i don't
0: know why we introduced each other
1: well, it's because we're so far away from each so other. So right
0: far now. away. So we, through the modern miracles of technology, I am seated in Boulder, Colorado, and Father Peter is in Washington, D.C.
1: The land of my father's birth.
0: Mm. Was it really? Yeah. So Father Peter, what are you doing <laughs> in Washington, D.C.?
1: I am here with a group of 12 students. I feel very uh, Apostle Jesus-like, um, mm. and we are going to the March for Life.
0: Uh, and What is the March for Life?
1: The March for Life is uh, a group of people who march on Washington um, and uh, go and show up to support life and to uh, try to win rights for the unborn because they have been deprived from their rights for too long because they aren't developed enough and they're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Amen. so we uh so we're just coming out here and and uh and doing our constitutional right to gather peacefully absolutely on the nation's capital capital <laughs> <laughs> I love the Cap <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's the it's the fortieth anniversary this year so right. um so we are uh, especially uh trying to do our duty to make sure that uh The voices of the unheard are
0: heard. I'm super excited that we're recording with you live from the March for Life because this is probably one of the biggest and yet unpublicized events that happens in our country every year.
1: Absolutely. I mean, they're saying 600,000 this year are are in Washington. It's
0: a huge deal, but I I guarantee it will not make any of the papers or any of the major news feeds on Monday.
1: I know. I I think there's some people who are... um, all about like trying to do social media campaigns because we have democratic technology, so we're getting the word out any possibly way we. <laughs> getting the word, get, word, get word, get word it, from the
0: capital.
1: I can't get the word out of my own mouth, Sorry, but I'll dude. tell you what we're we're doing our uh, we're doing our best here. Absolutely, That's cool.
0: This was one of the most difficult setups for this podcast that I think I've ever been a part of.
1: Yeah, you guys, the complications of us trying to get to do the interwebs uh, uh, service, hold on, the complications it takes mm-hmm. for us to get the internet to work for us and to have a decently sounding podcast across the distance of this whole country,
0: it's it. It's hard, but it's working. If we pull this thing off, I'm going to be very, very happy. So this is Me an too. exciting day for all of us. So Father Peter, it is the third Sunday of Ordinary Time this week, right?
1: Yes, it's not the second Sunday in Ordinary Time, unlike how our website or maybe the uh, uh, iTunes says. we got to
0: fire our webmaster, whoever. Whoever put that yeah, up, dude,
1: he's out. He's going to get beaten within an inch of his life. Really just, yeah. <laughs> and firing isn't enough at this mm. point.
0: Mm. Well said. That's been, it was me. Hey, everybody, the secret's out. It was me. I made a mistake. <laughs> I called it the first Sunday of Ordinary Time.
1: People, well, they're going to download the podcast, and they're going to go, where is the second week in Ordinary Time? <laughs> you guys would be like, well, that was actually last week. And... <laughs>
0: Nobody's going to care.
1: <laughs> now, now, this is the other thing that happened this last week. So we have the wrong date, <laughs> and then the second thing that happened is somebody came up to me, and they said, oh, dude, no. you're not lanky. What? I know. I, I got denied my own
0: length. If you're not lanky, then I'm not lanky, because we have the exact same build. I know, that's what I'm saying. Wait, what what are you if you're not lanky?
1: I don't know. They just I, I guess I'm normal what was their, or something. Wait a second. What's
0: their beef? What is that what do they think a lanky guy looks like?
1: I don't know. I think that they have an image of like Ichabod Crane or something. Ichabod Crane. Ichabod Shreh <laughs> uh,
0: See, that's what I am saying. I don't know. Who who told you that? Don't say it on the air. But who is it?
1: <laughs> Tell me now. Hold on, do we have a do I have a beeping sound? it it was mr
0: well whatever oh, i think well. we're lanky my wife thinks okay. we're lanky I, 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 all the staff the staff in our think we're lanky think, yeah you're right
1: yep so if you guys think we're lanky then you can send us an email at lankyguys at org and tell us if you agree with us or deny <laughs> us. no
0: one has sent us an email yet i realized that at the end of last week I keep checking this email account that we've never told a single human being about. <laughs> <laughs> that is,
1: is it, that the nature of things. I know. It, well, I was afraid to tell anybody because as soon as you tell them an email, man, we got to respond.
0: I told them an email at the end of last week's show, and I've gotten nothing. Oh, you you said? I tacked it? it on at the end. Oh, okay. So, because I realized we have this web, we have this email address that is useless. So now we're going to get flooded hey, with emails. Hey, do you have any
1: shout-outs this week for anybody uh, who's listening to the podcast who you can think of?
0: I have a shout-out for Brooke Horner, who is, who is super cool. She's up at the University of South Dakota, and she told me a couple of weeks ago that she was listening to our podcast in her sorority house up at USD. And some of the girls were, were playing some, some lame movie, and she blasted our podcast over it in her sorority yeah. house, and I thought that was awesome. So, Brooke, That's, if you even bother to listen anymore, here is your official shout-out.
1: This is the thing. Now the Linky Guys is officially a weapon. Mm. We have become weaponized. Amen. Take that. Against, <laughs> Take
0: that, everyone.
1: Yeah, against the tyranny and, <laughs> and uh, evil-hearted people and who want to listen to and poop movies. Poop movies. Do I have to put an explicit tag if I say poop?
0: I think so. Shoot. No, it's cool. I don't think you do. Okay, but I don't know. I don't sorry, know the standards iTunes. of iTunes.
1: I don't either, man.
0: Dude, let's let's get into this. So it's what, the what, third Sunday ordinary time, and we yep. uh, we have. I love it when we get obscure readings that nobody's heard of that nobody's heard of before, and that's what we have. Like the at first a reading, Nehemiah. Like at a Nehemiah, which I'm sure a lot of people listening have never even heard of Nehemiah before. They're like the what, what a what a? Maybe not. Maybe oh. I'm not giving them enough credit. I'm sorry. I had never heard oh, of Nehemiah. Sorry. A while we
1: have we have an educated crowd so you, we, who knows what what's happening in their in their hearts yeah. when they look at nehemiah they might be totally inspired to like build walls or something
0: dude walls that's what was, that's what nehemiah is all that nehemiah is is sweet and I, there's a neat connection to uh from between nehemiah and the and the second reading which comes from First Corinthians. So we we talked a little bit at First Corinthians last week. T- today's second reading is a continuation of last week's, which is all about the uh, different people in the church have different gifts, and you know we're all we're all created for our different roles. We talked about Downton Abbey, which I just finished season two, by the way.
1: Oh, which
0: is uh, exciting.
1: Oh yeah, wait till oh oh finishing of season two. That's good. It's intense. Don't it's give it away core. no spoilers. What, you uh, you
0: finished season two, haven't you? I
1: finished season two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that last episode, man, rock your, rocks your your socks, intense, man.
0: It's intense, dude. It's such a good show. We just need more good, objectively good things to watch. I was oh. I, we Annie and I before bed. We often just you know we'll put on like Hulu or something and watch, you know, a quick TV show. And you know sometimes we'll watch like Modern Family or The Office or one of those shows. And and they're okay, but I just sometimes I just feel kind of almost dirty after watching those. There's nothing like super bad, but it's just there's nothing good. Really, and so I start. We started watching yeah. *Downton Abbey* now every night before bed, and I actually feel better. It's like I ate. You know, it's it's like I ate um, a salad instead of a bunch of Twinkies for dinner. You know, you just feel differently after you put good things into you.
1: Amen, and and that is definitely how I feel with the Downton. So, what's up? This is our shout out to Lord Grantham. <laughs> Lord Grantham, Lord Grantham, may you hold the house together, baby. That, I'm in I'm in a house, so there might be office phones ringing in the background every once in a it's while. It's cool with me, I'm man. I'm in
0: your house, which is kind of creepy sounding. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, where'd you?
1: Yeah, you were trying to break in, but that's but that's what was happening in Nehemiah as well,
0: man. Kind of, yeah. So uh, sorry. So Nehemiah. So I was trying to think of how to connect it connected to First Corinthians. So First Corinthians is all about these different roles that we all play in the church. Nehemiah is cool because it's also about a bunch of different roles. Ezra and Nehemiah were always traditionally read together. And actually, in some ancient translations of the Bible, it was called First and Second Esdras, was the books of Ezra and Nehemiah together. So you actually can't read the book of Nehemiah without the book that came right before it, which is the book of Ezra. Um, so traditionally, they're meant to be read together. And Ezra and Nehemiah were buddies, so they're good friends. And they have two different roles in this important time in Israel's history. So Israel is just coming out of exile. They've been sent off to Babylon. They've received this punishment that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. The prophets keep talking about this punishment they're going to get. So by the time we get to the first reading this week, they've they've done it. They've They've dealt with it, and now they get to come home. So as they're coming home... There's a lot of things that have to be done. So Ezra is going to be the priest that sort of leads the people in worship back home. And Nehemiah is going to be the first governor who's going to kind of lead the people structurally and try to kind of rebuild them as a people. So Ezra's going to start to, to lead the, the rebuilding of the temple and put the worship back in place. And his buddy Nehemiah is going to try to create a society again. And the book of Nehemiah is, is actually really cool because you can split in it. you can split the book of Nehemiah into two parts. The first six chapters of Nehemiah are about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. So he comes back and he's like, okay, what do we we have to do? Well, we have to get this city back because this is the Lord's city. So we have to rebuild it. So we have to put the walls back in place because the walls have fallen down. But as Nehemiah is working on this project and he's doing it, he realizes that there's another even greater problem. And it's not just merely that the walls of Jerusalem have been knocked down, but the second part of the book is all about how the people themselves have been knocked down and they've been beat up Mm -hmm. and they've suffered and they've gone through all this stuff. So the first half of the book is all about rebuilding the walls. The second half of the book is all about rebuilding the people who have been broken down like the walls are. And this reading is all about nehemiah and his buddy ezra who is the priest who are trying to do that you guys have suffered you've struggled you've gone through this darkness and now you're going to be built back up and it's it's really kind of a beautiful reading to, to read it in that light
1: yeah it's good oh, and that's exactly how it has to go there has to be a certain amount of protection before you can actually be built up it's like yeah. You know, you have to be fed to be able to study. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you know, you you have to be able to, you know, you have to have coffee before you can walk um, upright <laughs> in the morning. Some of us do. <laughs> Some of us do who, who get addicted to the. Yeah, dude. Substance.
0: But it's cool. I mean, it really is all kind of about new birth. Like there's this new reality. You've, you've gone through your suffering, you've gone through your hardships, and now God wants to open something new. The, the tail end of the reading has uh, Nehemiah yells out to the people and they say, today is holy to the Lord. Don't be sad. Don't weep. For all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. So the law was being read to them, and they're probably remembering all the ways they've fallen short and all the ways they've blown it and all their, their failures. But he's saying, no, don't weep. It's time to party. Go eat rich foods, drink sweet drinks, and allot portions to those who have nothing prepared, for today is holy to the Lord. Don't be saddened, for rejoicing in the Lord must be your strength. So even though the world doesn't look like it yet, There's this new dawn that's kind of coming. And that's just good for all of us. You know, we live in hard times and we live in these times where we just think it's the end of everything. Everything's black. And we forget that the reality, you know, we we live sometimes as though we don't know, you know, there's this cosmic spiritual battle going on around us. And I think sometimes we live as though we don't know the outcome, that we don't exactly know how it's going to turn out. And we forget that there's a big empty tomb sitting in Jerusalem where Jesus is not buried because it's actually a done deal and God is one and we can rejoice in that even though it seems dark. Um, so it's just, it's just kind of a cool reading. I think it's really applicable to us, certainly to me.
1: Oh yeah, me, me too. And I was just thinking about it. I went and visited a a campus minister, um, at CUA since I'm in Washington DC and an an old friend Jamila and, uh, and she was just telling me about one of the, the historical realities at CUA was that the president of the university and the campus minister were kind of the tag team to bring a real renewal in a springtime at that CUA, and uh, and and it really follows this pattern of Ezra the priest the, and Nehemiah coming together. And it, I mean, I, that would be my ideal. I mean, I, I think about what what could be done. Um, I, I mean, I met with the um, the. Uh, uh, Phil DiStefano oh, at yeah. the university who runs C U and we were just talking about wh- what does it look like to bring renewal and yeah. how could I serve that mission and to come together and it's it's really it's really beautiful. The separation of church and state is, is, is necessary, but there's also something beautiful about the cooperation of church and exactly. state Exactly.
0: Yeah, they and, need they need to speak to each other.
1: And, it, and it's a partnership. I'm in, I mean, I'm in, in D.C., so when I'm seeing Ezra and Nehemiah together, and 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 people weeping over what they what they haven't been, uh, especially during this March for Life, I'm like, oh, this is this is so uh, applicable to us totally. to remember what we can be. And, yeah, uh, totally. That's, and and that's where we have to. Um, that's where we have to seek out the Lord that's what actually propels us into the responsorial psalm it's like you can imagine these uh, these people just like they're they're struck to the heart because they realize that they they've lost something that is just really good and beautiful the totally. law that o- opens and reveals the heart and so that's why you actually have to rejoice in the beautiful nature of God's call and not just be defeated by it right. because like what? yeah the 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 tomb is is empty. Jesus isn't there. He isn't he is super abundant in his presence uh. and not just dead somewhere and that's why we have to like it, sometimes the very first thing you have to do when things are hard is you have to go into praise. That's totally. why your words, Lord, are spirit and life.
0: Yeah, I love that psalm and I I always pick I don't know what they were praying that day with Ezra and Nehemiah but this if they were praying Psalm 19, it would be perfect. I mean, listen to what it says. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Of the decree of the Lord is trustworthy, giving wisdom to the simple. And if the decree of the Lord is trustworthy, what's the decree of the Lord? Well, in the Old Testament, it was, if you blow it, if you fail me, if you turn your back on me, you're going to be punished. But after your punishment, I will begin to build you back up like the walls of a city. So they're actually, in Ezra and Nehemiah, they're actually seeing all of this come true. And they'd be like, oh, man, we're experiencing it. It was trustworthy. That's exactly how it went down. Just how God told us it was going to. So hindsight's twenty twenty sometimes.
1: Yeah, yeah, hindsight is twenty twenty, and and hopefully we can all find our glasses. Mm.
0: <laughs> well done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was, I was kinda, that really was good. Really I didn't mean to react to it. It's a good line.
1: It's a, it's a, I keep on losing my glasses, and so I just found my like the the a pair the other day and I was like so happy because I was like oh like an glasses. old
0: pair that you had lost previously?
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> nice. Well actually no no actually I've been wearing my old glasses. I lost my new pair oh, of glasses. That's the worst. It's the worst. It's mm-hmm. just like, man, times is hard. Yeah, it is. They is. Well, see, um, because um Ezra and Nehemiah First thing, you, their whole pattern is build up the wall, secure the city, and then build the people up inside. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. So, And, and part of the way they do it is, is each of you has to attend to the part of the wall that is right outside of your house. Okay. Yeah. So the body has many parts, and all the parts, though many, are one, so also, so also as Christ— we, um, I, I've, been, I, I've been thinking about. I mean, everybody's role in the church is significant, yeah. it's, really, it's really important, and there's, there's no little part of the body, yeah, but, but there are small things to do, right? The part so the body are totally different, and so the eye, the one who observes and sees, hmm. um it has to observe and see. And so it's, you have to actually look in and let Christ reveal yourself to yourself so that you can uh, be attentive to the little, the small mission that's in front of you. Sorry. Yeah. Cause there's no little parts. There's only small things to yeah, do. It's totally. just kind of like our, our, our daily tasks. There's just lots and lots of small things to do constantly. And you put them together and it's huge. And, and it actually fortifies the body and it strengthens the body. It's like, you think about cells. It's like, Damage in one cell is bad. Totally, and, uh, but 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 repair at one cell is also huge. It's important.
0: Well, to tie, you know, again, the first reading and the psalm are all about the law of the Lord and the word of the Lord and how they're weeping over their failures. And if you go back and if you read the Old Testament carefully, you see that the problems were always very small to begin. Small things always lead to big things, right? Think of the, the famous sin of King David, right? He has. You know, he has an affair with this woman Bathsheba, he has a child out of wedlock, he murders her husband, and it all began because he wasn't, you know, he overslept one day, and he was hanging on the couch. And then one thing led to another, and all the small things add up. So the small things matter. If if there's any story of the Old Testament and unfaithfulness to the law, it's that the small things all matter. It's like Jesus says in the Gospels, he who is faithful in small things will be faithful in big things. So the small things matter greatly.
1: That's why I made my bed today. You did? I did. Even when I'm on vacation, I made my bed, boys and girls, all the children who listen. You too can make your bed in the morning and. I'm looking
0: into your bedroom from where I'm sitting, and you did not make your bed at home.
1: I'm. Oh, is it still pulled back?
0: Oh, that's because Ty
1: was gonna wash my sheets for me. Ty, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) So I was I was helping him by not making (laughs) nice, man. It's a small dude, thing. I just it's a Sky'd, small thing. I got... Uh, yeah. Uh, I I just got. I just guy. Facebook
0: body slammed you. Or <laughs> <laughs> right, not Facebook. Skype. 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 Body slam. No, dude, sorry. It had to happen. And no, did, no, you're right. Though And that, to, that's that's. It's really beautiful. Let's talk about the cool gospel. It's gospel. So the gospel. What do you What do you think? I have some thoughts. But
1: Well, first. my first thought is is it's always hard when you jump from Luke chapter one, one through four to Luke chapter four, 14 to 21. I just, I just, it's, it's one of those moments. And, and, um, and, you know, what's funny is in my meditation on that, I, I kind of was having a hard time getting over that fact. I get angry about things and
0: then I have, uh, then I have a hard time praying. Oh, sorry, dude. And I did that. Well, here, let me, let know, me try but, to justify it. Okay. I don't know why the, justify. I don't know why the church decided to put these two things together, but yep. What Luke is doing at the very beginning, so we're getting the very first lines of Luke, and then jumping ahead to chapter 4. But it says, Since many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the events that have taken place among us, just as those who are eyewitnesses from the beginning ministers of the world they've handed on to us, da-da-da-da-da. One, one of the problems with Luke, and historically Luke has always gotten a, a bad rap as one of the gospel writers, because he actually was not an apostle. So he's one of the few writers in the New Testament that wasn't one of the Twelve Apostles. There's no Apostle Luke. He, um, what we do know about Luke is that he was the right-hand man of Paul. So he was, he was Paul's scribe and he was Paul's buddy. And you see him appear a couple times in the Bible. But one of the things that scholars like to criticize Luke over is, well, he wasn't an eyewitness. So he didn't actually see these things for himself. And so Luke kind of knows that he understands sort of what he's up against. So he begins his gospel by saying, Hey, you need to trust me that everything I'm about to tell you is absolutely accurate. And it was handed down to me from the eyewitnesses, from the ministers. And in the ancient Greek, that's actually a reference to the apostles who handed them down to him. So all of these things are trustworthy. And and that's a reminder because what he's about to say in chapter 4 is, I think, the crux of the entire gospel. So somewhere deep in the church's wisdom, as we're reading about the the central moment, I think, for the gospel of Luke and what he's going to tell us about Jesus the whole gospel begins by saying, "Hey, trust these words that are about to be said to you, because this is this is the real deal." That was what I got, man. And that,
1: yeah, and that brings us right back to the proclamation in the first reading of Ezra reading the law before everybody. Yeah, that, totally. That, that the the law has been handed down; it's come to him, and now it's time for him to proclaim exactly, it. Exactly, which and, is what
0: Luke is saying. It,
1: yeah, and 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 it's worthy to remind our home listening mm. audience about the nature of oral transmission. Yes. It's not the telephone game. Exactly. It's a community of believers that are self-correcting. Yeah. It's kind of like if if you took Wikipedia into its highest ideal, and so- <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good analogy, w- actually. Wikipedia is saying, okay, we're gonna make this publicly editable. So if somebody gets something wrong, you have to contribute your voice mm. so that it's not, so that it's a, an actually an accurate transmission of what has been given yeah. which and 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 sometimes sometimes it fails with wikipedia because the, there's you know the the creedal differences the opinion differences right. you 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 start to get a uh, dynamic tension and so right, an article right. is going to say one thing but in the within the body of believers when it's handed down that's why when i come to ordination i have to have all sorts of guarantees and testing to make sure that right. I am thinking with the mind of the church, and then I'm willing with the heart of the church. Yeah, and, and and that's I think one of the one connection that I end up getting with is that this re, the second part, fourth chapter of Luke is read. It was read at my ordination, and was read it really? ordinations all around. Oh yeah, yeah. Huh.
0: Oh sure, the, the chapter four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It
1: makes sense. Yeah, yeah, because the Spirit of the Lord is upon Absolutely. me, and He has anointed me to bring glad tidings
0: to the poor. You know there's a great story. So there's a scholar named Kenneth Bailey. He's one of my favorite scholars and he's done a lot of anthropology and he he has explored this idea of oral tradition and how it's passed down because way too many folks think the Bible is just a big game of telephone that got passed down. And he decided yeah. to go and live with so there's actually communities of people in different parts of the world that still communicate this way and still actually don't have writing that they'll, they'll pass things down orally. So he would go and stay with these Bedouin tribes in the in the in the Middle East. And he discovered he was saying with some villages and this particular tribe that didn't have writing and they passed down their traditions by oral traditions just like this. Because he thought if you lived with the modern people who still did this, it'd be a good insight into how the gospel was was transmitted. And anyway, he was there's this one story he tells where he was with this Bedouin tribe and he went up to some guy and he was like, Hey, can you tell I, I heard this story once around the fire. Would you retell it to me? Because I want to get some of it down on paper. And so this guy who was probably in his sixties or seventies, he thought, well, this is an elder. Surely he can tell me the story. So the guy starts to tell the story. And a group of elders literally come up and, and manhandle the guy and pull him away physically. And they say to Bailey that this guy oh, this oh, guy's man. not allowed to tell you that story. He, has, he doesn't have the authority in our community to tell it. He has not lived among our tribe for long enough. And Bailey said, well, how long has he lived here? And they're like, only 40 years. But being a part of the community for no. 40 years was not authority enough to tell the story because he might miss a detail or he might mis-tell it. So they took the way that oral traditions were passed on from one person to another very, very seriously. So again, this is, this is the world that Luke's in. So this is trustworthy stuff. He's saying if I got it from the eyewitnesses, you can trust what I'm going to tell you because there's controls built in. Anyway, a little bit of a side note, but I always like that story.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I I really hope that uh, after this podcast, nobody comes up and decides to manhandle me. They're like, Father, that was a jacked up podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm taking you out, fool. And I'm like, no, man.
0: Hopefully not. I'm not here. I'm not in D.C. to protect
1: you. Uh Oh, yeah. And there's bishops around here, man. I know some of those bishops, man. They will mess you (laughs) up, dude. They got the kung fu in the heart. You got Father Kevin to protect you, though. I do, I do. And he's pretty good at it. He can make a pretty wicked tombstone pizza too. I believe
0: it. So we got so we got Jesus. So we got Luke's kinda of introduction there. This is what I'm gonna tell you. And then we, we come into the what's the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry in Luke. So he goes back to Galilee, which is up in the north, and the power of the spirit, news about him spread. He taught in their synagogues, and then you gotta get this key statement. He came to Nazareth, the place where he had grown up, and it was according to the custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read what was handed Uh, he stood up to read and he was handed a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. So in the synagogue on Saturday, which was the day that they gathered to worship, um, a person, you know, usually a significant person in the community would be chosen to do the reading. And he was able to, it's not like our liturgical cycle. He actually got to choose whatever reading he wanted to. So Jesus chooses this. He's like, I want to read from the prophet Isaiah. So he would traditionally read the, the scriptures and then he would give a little homily about it. And so that's what Jesus is doing. So he stands up. He reads this prophet, uh, this uh, thing from Isaiah. And he said, what was said to you at ordination, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to the oppressed, to go free, and to proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord. And that says, reading, the, yeah. rolling up the stroll, he handed it back to the attendant and he sat down. Now, being seated was the ancient position of a rabbi for teaching. So, you know, this is why bis- oh. this is why bishops have chairs. Because the seat of a bishop represents his teaching authority, so if a rabbi was going to teach you, he sat, and so. You have something. I love
1: it. I love it. Well, I, you know, I I love it when the bishop preaches from the chair. That's I, the I proper. I'm not position. supposed to do it as a priest. No, you're not,
0: because you're not a bishop.
1: I know. Technically,
0: I, I, some, not yet. I'm
1: <laughs> not yet. Well, I'm waiting for the call from the vet. Absolutely, so it, it works out, and so, he sits, <laughs> so down, he sits down, and <laughs> then, dude. He has a really short homily.
0: <laughs> he has a really short homily, which I bet you will not on Sunday. But he has a super short... So everyone's looking at him. What They're looking at him because they're expecting the homily. And he just says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And I bet that half the people in the synagogue would have fallen off their seats when he said that. Because what he said was so profound. And the reason he's doing it, Do you know what the reference is that he's quoting in Isaiah? Do you know what that whole deal is called? No, I don't. It's, it's a reference to what's called the Jubilee Year. So when it says things like to proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord, a year of the Lord's favor, these are code words in the Old Testament for what was called the Jubilee year. So the Jubilee year, it's, it's rooted way back in Leviticus and it was in the beginning of the law. The Jubilee year was basically every 50 years you were to have this celebration and 50, um, it, it's the year after seven times seven years is the 49th year. And then the next year, so seven was a really important number for the Jewish people because they're completion and covenant. And so seven times seven years, the next year would be this huge celebration. And on the... And that's... And then what's awesome
1: is that actually the prophecy of when Christ would come, it's seventy weeks. Of yeah, time. yeah, so yeah, exactly. The jubilee of jubilees. The jubilee
0: of jubilees of jubilees. It's huge. But this is what you would say. So this jubilee. So what you do in the jubilee year is basically it's it's called a year of release. So you'd release three things. You would release all debt. So if anybody had debt, it would be wiped off the book. So if you have car debt or credit card debt or a mortgage, it's done. You're done with it, and it's wiped off. You would so you Love release that. all debt. You would release um, slaves. So if you had a Hebrew slave, slavery, by the way, in the, in, the, in the biblical world was different than what we think of slavery. You know, a doctor, a physician, or a professor could become a slave if he went into enough debt. It wasn't like a, uh, a, an ethnic thing for them. So if you got into debt, you would maybe sell yourself into slavery. So on the Jubilee year, you're freed. That's done with. And then the last thing was land. You would get your ancestral land returned to you. So all these things would happen. Now, what's interesting about the jubilee year? W- yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Weren't the interest, interest rates also determined according to how close you were to the jubilee year? So, like, if you, <laughs> like, not how they did it back then. I hope so. I, like I cost so. to jubilee, like uh, you know, that's a good idea. It's like the
0: CTJ. <laughs> <laughs> I've that's, heard that one. That's awesome. But yeah. as you can imagine, you know, the poor would love this because you'd have debt released and you'd be free. The rich didn't like it so much. And so if you, if you read carefully in the Old Testament, you don't see the Jubilee celebrated very often. I think, I think there's mm. only maybe twice that it actually shows up. And one of the times is in Jeremiah. And Jeremiah actually makes it clear that you guys did not celebrate this. You failed to do it. And the Jubilee comes out of the Exodus. So remember, in the Exodus, in Leviticus, they've just come out of Egypt And the reason God is doing this is because he's basically saying, hey, you guys have just been freed from Egypt where you were indebted, you were slaves, and you lost your land, the promised land. So I've set you free and I've given you your land, the promised land. I've made you free and not slaves and I've released all of your debt. And so God is basically saying, if I could do that for you, you ought to do it for one another. And that shows me that you understand what I've done for you. But the reality is they don't do it. They never do it. They fail to do it. And so the rich get richer, the poor get poor, da 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 da. And the only time it happens, one of the only times it happens is in Jeremiah, which is right before the exile, right before they're hauled off to Babylon. And what we read in Jeremiah, the king at the time, saw that, you know, stuff was going down. He saw the enemies the, the enemy armies on the horizon. He saw it and he knew because of the prophecies that the judgment was coming. And so he said, what do we do? So in a last ditch effort to try to win God's favor back, he proclaims a jubilee year. And he says, all right, let's, let's hurry up. We've abandoned the jubilee. Let's do that. And maybe God will forgive us. So they all set their slaves free on their debt and everything else. And then if you read Jeremiah, I think it's Jeremiah 25 or something like that. It's, it's in the end of Jeremiah. But they set all their slaves free. And you actually read that all the wealthy people, when they set free their slaves, eventually they, they kind of got sick of cleaning their own toilets and doing their own dishes. And it said, we're we're tired of this. We're taking our slaves back. And Uh so they all went and they they re-enslaved their brothers and sisters. And if you read Jeremiah, it says that's the straw that broke the camel's back. And God says, that's it. It's one thing to not do this Jubilee year, to not imitate me the way that I've asked you to. It's another thing to do it and then rescind it. And that, Jeremiah Uh actually says, is what sent them into exile, which is what they're coming out of in Ezra and Nehemiah. That was what happened. So the last time anybody heard these words that Jesus says was when they were hauled off for hundreds of years in slavery in Babylon. And now Jesus says them again for the first time. Nobody has heard these words until now, since then. And so Jesus is saying something new is about to happen, which is super profound.
1: That's awesome. That is just a beautiful gift of God.
0: But there's one other piece to it. That I think is fascinating. So if this is the Jubilee year, so what do you do in the Jubilee year? Well, you release debt, you release slaves, and you give back land. But historically speaking, we're in first century Palestine right now, which is controlled by Rome. So literally all the people that Jesus is talking to are in a certain sense enslaved by the Roman Empire. And to some degree. They're indebted by their high, super high tax rates that they considered this massive debt. And they don't have the promised land because it was controlled by Rome. So Jesus is basically saying, I'm going to release the debt, the slaves, and the land in a time when they are slaves, they are indebted, and they have no land. So how do you release debt, slaves, and land if you don't have any of those things to release? And I think what Jesus is saying, and what the rest of the book is going to elucidate as Luke goes on, is that Jesus isn't talking about a strip of land in the Middle East that God wants to restore. He's not just talking about monetary debt and high taxes, and he's not just talking about political slavery. And what he's going to release us from is the slavery to sin and the debt uh, or the slavery to Satan, the debt of our sin and the the land of the new creation that he wants to restore. So he says, we're on the verge. And just like in Ezra and Nehemiah, where everything looks dark, we're right on the verge of something profound and new and beautiful. So don't weep because God's doing something incredible. And this is the starting point. So I just think it's really cool. That's awesome. (laughs) And the fact that he says, today the scripture is fulfilled. And everybody's got to be thinking, how do you fulfill that? How do you give us our land back if we don't have any? And he's like, it's done today because you're looking at me. So he is literally the fulfillment of all of it. But that's not going to make sense until you read the rest of the gospel.
1: Well, this is my question, too. I mean, even in consideration with the gospel, in the synagogue at the time, would it have been their habit to somebody gets up and says, this is fulfilled in your hearing? Um, would would they would they go have a and to, to like actually argue it out and go like, what are you talking about?
0: Ah. Probably. It's weird because the reaction here is really positive. This is they all spoke favorably of him after this, after the gospel reading ends. So I always wonder, what are they actually thinking? Because he says similar stuff to this elsewhere. And actually in other gospels, when he's in Nazareth, they all want to kill him. They're like, who does this guy think he is? Yeah. He's the son of the carpenter. But here in Luke's account, they actually are all pretty big fans of it. So I always wonder what they're actually thinking about here. Is he is he metaphorical? You know, are they arguing about this? That's a it's a good question.
1: Well, yeah, and, and is this is this the inspiration for what they consider raising him up to be king to do the political free? Yeah, probably. You know, like, if they think like, this like, guy's
0: uh, going to overthrow Rome because that's what he's yeah, saying. So, th-
1: so they have like a narrow view of what's actually supposed to happen right. versus the the pure and eternal expanse of. Uh, notion, idea, yeah, dude. work that Jesus is going to do.
0: Yeah, totally. For sure. So
1: th- there we go. That's like Ezra, Nehemiah, Jesus, Paul, the body, praising. Life is good, man. This is going to be... I don't get to preach this weekend. Do you know that? Oh, you don't? No, I... When are you, I, when are you back? Be-
0: oh, you're back Sunday, aren't you?
1: I get, a, I get back like Sunday, Sunday like 11 mm-hmm. or like midnight or something like that. So, so, yeah, there's going to be some good priests at St. Thomas at the Catholic Center preaching, but I'm going to be at the National Basilica That's um, awesome. so celebrating a big Mass and, and celebration of life and in defense of life. So awesome. this is, keep, uh, keep life in your prayers, everybody out there. If you have questions, concerns, comments, uh, please contact us at...
0: Lanky guys at thomascenter.org.
1: And we will probably not be very prompt in responding to you, but we will respond to you. We might
0: be prompt. i a little bit of faith Okay, in us. Scott.
1: Scott will be. <laughs> I should say Scott will be prompt. I Dude. I struggle to be prompt, man. Oh, it's man. like just, I, I sometimes I just work at church speed. That's how it is. That's all
0: right. We're at, we work in a church. It's cool.
1: There and thus this speed at which we work. absolutely.
0: Well, happy March for Life weekend. Everybody pray for the unborn, like Father said. Don't forget the readings. It's all about new life and new hope. So even though things look grim on the pro-life front, there's hope and God's in control of it. And that's a good thing to remember as we think about all these things.
1: All right, signing out. I'm Father Peter Mussel. I'm Scott Powell. We'll see you next week. And we are the lanky guys. See you next week. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs)
0: The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute of Capital Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.